After that time, I just want to exhale, right? Say, God is good all the time. I mean, just, just look around and seeing each one of you here, seeing my family, seeing our church family together. Uh, we're seeing our church family in Walmart. Ran into Brother Will yesterday. Um, once you get past the mass, you recognize each other. But um, it's, just, it's just great to, to have this family here for sure. So last week, last week, Huff gave a, gave a great message uh, about the, and a challenging message, right, uh, about the wrath of God, um, about how he pours out that cup um, of his righteous wrath. And it's a, it's a message that, that is missing in, in the church today for sure. So that message was very personally challenging, yet also encouraging, you know, for me as well, um, and hopefully for all of you guys. Um, because a lot of people, they just, they don't want to hear that side of the gospel message. Now, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, back up that message with the, with the God of hope that we know. Um, but I just felt like it was a good time because as I was reflecting upon that message, right, God put this uh, verse um, in front of me. So, um, but like I said, people don't want to hear uh, the righteous wrath of God. They don't want to hear the parts of the truth that are true, but they don't agree with. Uh, I had a call, a buddy called me um, Friday night before last, and, and he was upset because um, one of the gentlemen, um, he couldn't, and he told him one thing, um, actually he, he had told him, hey, yeah, we want, we want you back, come on back here for sure, and, um, but then the guy had to come back, but the only opportunity we had was, was for him on night shift, and the guy was upset because he had to come back, and I was like, well, you know, you, did you tell him you were going to give him a, you know, on this particular shift at this particular time? And he said, well, well, no, I didn't. I was like, well, what are you worried about? You know, he goes, well, I'm worried about what so-and-so might say about it. Well, he signed the paper to, to come back and work with us on that particular shift. And you're telling me that, um, you know, you told him this. So you know what the truth is. So don't let it bother you. But a lot of us let stuff bother us and because we put our hope in things that are not true. So um, that's today is kind of where we're coming from, you know, uh, learning and reflecting. And we're going to focus on it. And, and we, we, we didn't talk, but boy, God set it up pretty good this morning with, with the songs that we were singing and stuff. So, um, so that's great. So let's um, go ahead and turn to our opening um, passage. And we're going to go through this. Uh, so please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And, and just to set this up briefly, because I'm, I'm not going to spend much time on this part today, but it's in this section, right? It's at the end of this section of 8 through 13, right? And in this section, right, Paul is talking about how the hope of God and the hoping save, hope, the hope of of a Savior in Jesus Christ is not just for the Jews. It is for the Jews and Gentiles. It is for all of us. It is for all of us. So at the end of this passage, we get to Romans 15, 13. And it says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning to come into your house physically or virtually. But most importantly, we come with our physical bodies and we bring our spiritual hearts with us. And I pray that we be fed today. We pray that 
we put those things aside that we're putting a false hope into. And today we come and we leave, we leave with a renewed sense of hope in you. That no matter what happens, you are our sovereign God and our creator and our sustainer. Not only for now, but for eternity. So be with us today as we look through your word. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. That's the old Methodist habit there, just in case you didn't know. Huff might have picked up on that, but please stand, please be seated. Please stand, please be seated. All right. So everybody knows the drill, so that's good. Um, so we're going to start, and we are little, we're going to walk right through this passage. And it's a short passage, and even Lily hit me up. She said, Daddy, how long are you preaching today? I was like, I don't know, standard 35, 40 minutes probably. But it's like, even my kids asked me, how long are you preaching today? I'm like, I don't know. Our own Lord lets it go. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so, so like, whatever. So, so, but whatever the Lord's message is that he wants to, wants to share with us today, right? And so, um, just go back, get a second bowl of oatmeal, and just hang on, right, uh, this morning at breakfast. So, um, so, may the God of hope, right, may the God of hope, God reveals himself. We're very fortunate, right? That God reveals Himself um, through His attributes in the Scripture. Uh, we walked through those at Bible at Bible study the last several weeks. Uh, that we walked through that, uh, but He also reveals Himself in Scripture through all of His different names, and we sang several of those this morning in a, in a couple. Um, but I wanted to share several of these with you. And there's there's a lot of verses. Feel free to flip, uh, but they all um, are. Is it on the app? Sorry, I don't know. But good, thanks. We all do. I was like, we got it on the Bible app. I was like, I forgot to check with Huff on that. <laughs> so, thank you um, for that. So let's turn to Exodus 17, 15 first this morning. Exodus 17, 15. And what we're going to scroll through here briefly is a few names um, of our Heavenly Father this morning. So the first one is Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi. It's found in Exodus 17, 15. It says, the Lord is my banner. Let's go down. 17. There we go. 17, 15. And Moses built an altar and called the name and called the name of it. The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Okay? So Israel was successful in battle. Right? They were successful in battle. And Moses built an altar at this place and says, The Lord is my banner. Right, the Lord is my banner, right? And so we say, right, when you go, uh, who, who else better, right? You, you have this flag, right? You have this flag, right? We, have, we actually, what? We put a flag on the moon. I heard it's there. I seen a picture. I don't know, right? But we got to the moon, right? We put the American flag, boom, right there. And that's a source of, right, that's a pride, accomplishment. And we're flying under that banner as a nation. And right here, the Lord is my banner, right? God delivered the, the nation of Israel from this attack, and so they're celebrating that. They're mar marking that and saying that, hey, here is the banner. God is our banner. When they look to that banner, he is their confidence, right? They get their confidence from that. That's their source of hope is from that banner. So the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi. All right, Psalms 23. I'm not going to turn to it. Feel free. What's the first line of Psalms 23? The Lord is my shepherd. If you remember, my kids said it for weeks because Huff did a great message on this. He said, Yehovah, Raha, 
Jehovah Raha. Right? Do that. Okay? Jehovah Raha. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalms 23. Um, Genesis 22.14 is another one that um, you've probably heard. Genesis 22.14 is Jehovah Jireh. I didn't say Jehovah Jireh. I didn't practice my pronunciations as much as I should, right? But the Lord will provide. So in 22.14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Right? So this is the story where Isaac is going to be sacrificed. But what happened? The Lord provided a lamb. Right? Provided a lamb. So the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Genesis 17.1. Genesis 17.1. It says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. We sang that beautifully this morning. And all I could picture was, and I can't really picture it because I have a very finite mind like all of us, but just singing those words this morning of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people Singing that name in heaven. Singing it. Will it all be one language, multiple languages? I don't know. (laughs) But I know that we will all be praising God Almighty. And the last one for this morning, but definitely not in the more in-depth study, but Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. And that's mentioned in Judges 6.24. Um, in 624 it says, Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Oprah, which belongs to the Abezerites. I think I just said Oprah in a sermon. All right? I did. Yeah. Um, so the Lord is Peace. So just from a few quick scriptures, we start to shape... Again, in our finite minds, we start to shape, we start, start to understand who God is and aspects of His character. With The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord will provide. Lord God Almighty, the Lord is peace. But today, one of the problems in our society, and sometimes even in our church, is we don't think about God enough. And we don't think properly about who God is. We just simply don't. Sometimes we try to put him in our own box that we create. We might even call him a... My kids are going to laugh because we spent the last several weeks getting called up to our culture. Some might even call him a force. Anybody recognize this quote? My ally is the force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us, binds us, illuminates. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force flow around you, here between you, me, the rock. Yes, the rock, even between the land and the ship. You ever heard that quote? What is it? Who was it? There's no Star Wars junkies in the sanctuary today. Yoda, yeah, Yoda. But that, 
my friends, is where people get confused because they get caught up in these culture wars. That, that quote of, um, from, from Yoda uh, about the energy surrounding us and binding us, that's not Christianity. That's a different form of like pantheism where God is in everything. And it, it, people get confused. They try to say, well, God is this force acting in our lives. And, but we know through God revealing himself to us exactly who he is. And today we're going to focus on that where God is the object and author of our hope. God is the object and the author of our hope. So how do we define hope? How do we define hope? Pastor Chuck Smith says it takes two things to define hope. And I like this. That's why I'm sharing it. But hope takes two things. There has to be an expectancy or anticipation and a desirability. The desirability. All right. So I'm going to get to that picture here in just a second. So, for example, for hope... You have to have an expectancy and a desirability. So take this. I may be expecting a whooping when I get home, but am I desiring it? No. Therefore, it would not be hope. I expect something, but I don't desire it, so that's not something you're hopeful for. All right? And the opposite can be true. Go ahead. Put my picture back up there. That guy's name is Kevin. As well, except his name is Kevin Van Dam, right? And he is one of the best bass fishermen of all time. I'll just say it. All right. Okay. All right. And he's won numerous Bassmaster Classic champions. So, just like the opposite of I'm expecting to get a whooping when I get home and I don't desire it, I'm not expecting to be a Bassmaster Classic world champion, but I do desire it. I do desire it, but I don't really expect it. Right? You get how those two things, the expectancy and the desirability, have to be together to form the definition of hope that we see. I should have, oh man, I should have brought that little six-inch trophy that I got last year. Woo! Yeah, hold it up, baby. Got it. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, that would have been great. Could have got that. Right? But you see how those two things have to, have to go together. Um, because hope, the feeling of expectation and the desire for certain things to happen, right? So we have a lot of things that are stacked against us, right? We, we all have our own story. We all have our own situation. But a lot of us feel that we have a lot of stacked against us. And the only thing really that we have left is hope, right? Who's ever said this phrase? I hope next week is better than this one. Who's ever said that phrase? We've all said that phrase. I hope that next week is better than this one. So in our context of, of, of the church and the Bible is that hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. Got that? Hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. I really like that. Sums up. And we as Christians live in hope for two reasons, which we're going to elaborate here on here in a minute. But we have hope for two reasons, and that is for what God has done in Christ and then how the Holy Spirit indwells and guides us 
in our daily lives. So, back to the passage. May the God of hope. God is the source of our hope, the single source of our hope. So the next line, or next phrase, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So we're going to break that down a little bit. So fill you with all. Fill you with all. As soon as I get that, I go back to fill my cup, Lord, lift it up, Lord. Play the songs. And then I'm thinking about the cup of wrath, the cup of hope, the cup of wrath. Cup. So it's been just like in this mind this week, right, of trying to balance these things. That's my word of the last three years is balance. Right, balance these things out. So you have a cup that can fill you. You're saying that your cup's going to be filled. What's the opposite of being filled? You're empty. You're going to be drained, right? So um, th- this is a, uh, I'm going to share here now an illustration here. Um, so I don't know which side here. Now this is an illustration from uh, Wayne Cordero. So he is a pastor in Hawaii. He wrote a book that's called Leading on Empty. Right? Leading on Empty. It's a really good book. But this illustration I've shared with many people over the years um, because it's just very helpful. And I wanted to share it with you guys today because we all go through this no matter what role, no matter what stage of life, we go through um, this aspect together. So what I want to share is, right, we said that, all right, everybody has a tank, right? Everybody has an emotional tank. Even guys, okay, have an emotional tank, all right? So, and we have on this tank, right, we have a drain on this tank, and we also are able to fill this tank, and we have three levels in our tank, all right? And the first one, thanks for letting me draw, by the way, Um, the first one is if, if our emotional tank gets lower, we start to suffer, right? And so if it gets down to this level, right, we might feel what's called an anxiety attack. Okay? You start to feel, right? You start to feel it. And if it gets down even lower, you have an emotional breakdown. Okay? And then what? If it gets even lower, you have... A nervous breakdown. Okay? All right? So that's your emotional tank. Okay, now what? Well, it's up to you. It's up to you to balance it. So you have to say a list of what feels. And this is is your homework, by the way. It's your homework. I'm not going to ask you for it. It's between you and the Lord. All right? What fills your tank and what drains your tank? All right, so think about this as I go through it. What fills your tank and drains your tank? Anybody want to guess what one of my fills my tank is? Come on, say it. It's okay. Yeah, fishing. Yeah. All right. One of the things that drains my tank Works okay. Actually, I enjoy what I do. But the one thing that drains my tank is when stupid people do stupid stuff. All right? But, but specifically at work, right? At work, because, you know, you kind of got to oversee different things. Like, why do they do that? Right? That just, ugh, 
that kind of pulls it out. And then you got to have the tough conversation, right? About why'd you do that? Here's a discipline cycle and all that stuff. That drains that drains my tank, right? That that drains my tank. But I'm not gonna. So, but that, that's that's one, two, three. But but make a list, make a list, right? One of the other things that fills my tank is simply working with my wife. I don't really care what we're doing, but we found that whenever we're together doing things, I don't know if it fills her tank, but it fills mine, right? We just like hanging out and working on different stuff together, whether it's in the yard or uh, fish, fishing's double, right? If like she goes fishing with me, that's double, right? Double fill my tank, right? But think about for you, right? What do I do when my tank gets full? You know, who am I doing this with? Where am I at? What am I doing? What fills it? Right? Because here's where we get into trouble. Here's when we get busy. We get busy, right? We get busy, and what happens? We drain. We drain. And then, unfortunately, we get busy with the stuff that drains our tank. We get busy. And then we struggle with anxiety or emotional breakdown or nervous breakdown because we don't fill our tank back up. But in reality, the way that we do that, need to do this and balance our lives is because that when we drain it, we need to do more stuff of what fills us up. A lot of times when we're doing this stuff that drains us, we're thinking, oh, just, just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait, right? And then it's too late. But when we know that we're going to do stuff, that drains us. We need to make sure that we make it a priority to do stuff that fills us. I don't know who does a, their Bible time or meditation time, reading time in the morning. My day is different. My day is different in a not so good way if I skip it for whatever reason. Need to go in early, this. We got a fox. We've been chasing a fox lately around our house, throws our schedule off, right? So, but whatever it is. But if you know, you're going to, I know that if I'm going to have a conversation, if I'm going to have a day with things that drain me, I better make sure that I'm doing things that fill me, right? So, so see how the balance of that goes, okay? So, now, now we're going to switch to marriage class and homework just for a free, free thing. So, have your... Husbands, fill out what fills your tank and drains your tank. And wives, fill out what drains your tank and fills your tank. And then share it with each other. Okay? And pray for the other one. Pray for the other one that their tank can be filled. Right? I will give you some help. I guess me and Renee are going fishing today. She looked at me. Yeah, I'm going fishing today. No, but, do, but do that. Do that with your spouse. Right? What fills your tank, what drains your tank, and then support each other in filling each other's tank, okay? All right, so I really, really like that illustration. And like I said, for me, the most important thing is starting my day, starting my day. I'm, I'm contemplating right now, right now I'm kind of on a personal schedule of, of out at 10, 30, 11, up at 6, and I keep reading these articles about, hey, you just need to get up earlier, I'm like, I don't want to get up earlier than 6, well... Right? I don't know. I don't know what everybody else's schedule. Some people are more disciplined here in the morning person or, or, or night. Or, um, how, however it goes for you. Uh, but make sure that you're filling your tank. And most importantly, make sure that you fill in your tank with the Lord. Right? Fill in your tank with the Lord. So, may the God of hope fill you with all. Next it says joy and peace. Joy and peace. So Morgan's actually going to share a poem 
um, with us this morning. She's going to read it. I should ask her to write one, but I didn't ask her. She's just going to read one this morning. There you go. You can say who it's from. Deborah. Yep. Deborah Ann. Opt for joy, it will not disappoint. If you do, it'll be a turning point. For joy always brings a sense of relief as you give to Jesus the cause of your grief. Prefer joyfulness over being downtrodden. Let the love of Jesus make your smile broaden. For happiness is a choice each day we can make, and rejoicing in the Lord will cause a grin to break. Choose joy, you'll be happy if you do. Then just watch what Jesus will, is willing to do for you. Very good. Thank you. Very good. So that was, um, yep, go ahead. It's not easy to come up here. <laughs> um, so that, that's a poem from Deborah Ann called Opt for Joy. Opt for Joy. And, you know, the difference between joyfulness and happiness, I remember hearing this, and you guys have probably heard it, uh, the difference between joy and happiness. But I found a few other quotes that I, that I liked from this as well, from study of this. It says, happiness is smiling when the sun's out. Joy is dancing in the downpour. Like that one. Happiness is based on what's happening, but joy is based on what we believe. Joy is the kind of happiness that does not depend on what happens. That's a good one. Joy is the kind of happiness that does not depend on what happens. Joy seems to me a step beyond happiness. Happiness is a sort of atmosphere you can live in sometimes when you're lucky. Joy is a light that fills you with hope and faith and love. And we know, friends, what that light is. And that's the light of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, thank you, Morgan, for, for reading that and those quotes. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, people trying to put God in a box. And one of the uh, myths about God is that God is a killjoy. Right? Have you ever heard that one? God's a killjoy. You just got a set of rules. Just got a set of rules. You want to go have fun? Yep. Did you smile? Greg, don't smile. Right? You can't have any fun. You can't be happy. People like that haven't read the scriptures. Right? Many Proverbs talk about a merry and cheerful heart. And we're going to look at joy here in a few verses. So joy in the Christian life is in direct proportion as believers walk with the Lord. Joy is the state of delight and well-being that results from knowing and serving God. Two parts in that definition. Joy is the state of delight and well-being that results from knowing and serving God. When you help someone, whether in a food line, a jacket, how do you feel after you help someone? Most of the time, I feel pretty good, right? We've been talking about lately having margin in our lives. Everybody heard that phrase? Margin in our lives. So you got a sheet of paper, right? And around the edge, you've got margin in your lives. You need to make sure that you protect your margin in your families so that you do have the opportunity to give and not be so, I got to be here at this time and I see this person that's holding out their hand and I just fly by them. So keep some margin in your life. Once you realize how much joy there is in giving, which everyone's tasted it, but to live in that continuously is an awesome place to be. 
All right, let's look over at Luke 15. Luke 15, chapter 3. Luke 15, chapter 3. Sorry? 3 through 7. Luke 15, 3 through 7. I'm going to read this whole thing. Um, So here we go. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep? Everybody's probably seen this one. If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that has lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, what? Rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There will be joy. Lots of it. John 15, John 15, 10 through 11. John 15, 10 through 11 says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You heard that before? Joy will be full. Right? When we are in Christ that my joy may be in you, and that that your joy may be full. Next page, at least next page in in my Bible. John 17, 13. John 17, 13 says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Anybody just hear that? Joy filled ourselves. Where do you think it comes from? comes from our God of hope, right? May the God of hope, right? It's also in Galatians 5.22. It's a joy in the fruit of the Spirit. And then our last one for joy, let's turn to Philippians 4.4. 4. Philippians 4.4. 4. Just so you know, when you have all these sticky notes, here's what your kids do to them. But then it makes you smile and warms your heart. As long as this wasn't the message I was preaching today, that would be a problem if that was the message I was preaching today. (laughs) But Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let the reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it talks about the rejoice here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then we get to the peace, which in our scripture it says that may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. So what is peace? Peace is the freedom from disturbance, right? It's in tranquility, a state or period which there is no war, or like this modern one, what's the definition of peace? Peace out, I'm out of here. <laughs> and it's like, oh, use that one today, but peace out. But as I studied the many different definitions of peace, the one word that always kept showing up was harmony. It was harmony. 
Harmony is the word that kept coming up. So peace is a condition or sense of harmony, well-being, and prosperity. And just like Huff said this morning, that's not prosperity from a material wealth standpoint. That's a prosperity, friends, of our spirits and relationship with God. So, all right, turn with me to Genesis chapter 29, 6. Genesis 29, 6. This was a neat little, this is, this is what, one of those things I call like a nugget. <laughs> and um, of not really what I was looking for, but something really cool I wanted to share. All right. Genesis 29.6. Genesis 29.6, it says, He said to them, It is well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. All right. So in our Bible studies, we have a, a three-by-five challenge, right, where we take a three-by-five index card, and then, um, you know, we're thinking about this or we're looking for this, and that's our challenge for the week, and then we, we start with our next week and kind of review some of those items. Well, and then I've used the phrase of a, a Monday morning challenge a few times. So this is the Monday morning challenge for you guys. So I hope it sticks into your head because it's just not a Monday morning challenge. It's an any day challenge. But in that passage, we just said, um, how are you? He asked him, how? Let's see. Let me see. He said it is well. They said it is well. Is it well with him? So here in the Hebrew text, that phrase, is it well with him, is the same phrase as what we say in the morning, how are you? How are you? Everybody start off, you pass somebody, what do you say? Good morning, how are you? But here in the, in the Hebrew text, it shows a couple ones in this situations, it's deeper than that. It is, is there peace within you? Is there peace within you? I thought about how I can relate to that in my walk. So it's not like, yeah, pass Brother Bobby in the hallway. Hey, man, how are you? But it's more like, hey, is there peace within you? And there's that gradual shift of not just, hey, how are you? And I walk throughout my day. It's a, does my brother have peace in his heart? So use that for your Monday morning challenge or your Sunday um, going out to eat. And so you say, say, hey, how are you? Now, you don't have to get into a big conversation with the lady at the cash register unless the Lord tells you to. But, but think about, do they have peace in their lives? Do they have the hope in their lives? And if not, maybe you can show them a little bit and point them in the right direction. So there's your Monday morning challenge. All right, so walk with the Lord in peace and uprightness means to maintain harmony with Him by faith and obedience. Proverbs 3.17 reads, Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Who could say all of our paths are peace? Ugh, no. Oftentimes I don't leave a trail of all peace, right? Um, Sometimes it feels a little bit more like destruction. Sometimes you feel like you knock something over. But think about, and you're in kind of another, right, as you wind down through day, think about the path that you walked through that day. Think about the people that you talked with that day. Did you leave a path of peace behind you? And all your interactions and who you talked with, who you went to school with, who you spoke to, did you leave a path of peace? Let's turn now to Luke chapter 1, verse 79. 
Luke chapter 1, verse 79. says this, and he's talking about, this is Zechariah's prophecy, John the Baptist, and then, of course, the birth of Jesus Christ. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into a way of peace. So again, are we walking in peace? Are we showing others peace? As I look for peace in the scriptures, I got stuck on this walking in peace. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, 15, this is the common passage about the armor of God, right? Or the armor, right, of the Christians, sorry. The whole armor of God, we put on that armor. And in verse 15, it talks about the feet. What do we put on our feet? Ephesians 6.15 says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So we have that gospel of peace that we're called to walk in and also to carry forth to the people that we interact with. Jesus encounters. After several encounters in the scripture, Jesus ends it by saying what? Go in peace. Right? So go in peace. So Luke 7.50, he's talking to the sinful woman. At the end, he says, go in peace. Mark 5.34, the woman with 12 years of bleeding, after he heals her, he says, go in peace. Right? Go in peace. We're getting ready to wrap up our financial peace class. We've got one week left about outrageous generosity. So we're looking forward to that lesson. But Dave Ramsey, on that very end of his show, every one of his shows, he says, remember, there's ultimately only one way to financial peace, and that's to walk daily with the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus. To walk with Him. So, I've kind of asked this question before, but does your life show joy and peace? Brian, you got that picture of the young one? So when people see you, when people see you, do they see joy? Or do they see a face that looks like this? That's not one of mine. We just got off the internet. Right? What do they see? As you were a kid, I talked about Star Wars a minute ago. As you, as you were a kid growing up, who did you want to be like? Who did you want to be like? What, you know... What superhero? Mine was He-Man. I don't know if he came, made a comeback or not, but I had the lunchbox, I had the thermos, I even had the underwear. Sorry. All right. Okay. Hey, I'll admit it. It's the truth. I was all in. Some He-Man, action figures and everything. When you were growing up, all right, Brian, next picture. Did you ever want to be this guy? Oh, you go, you're right there. Oh, dude. Right? So it's like, nobody wants to be Eeyore. All right? We just read a book the other night about Eeyore. His house fell over. He's like, oh, well. Oh, well. All right? But, folks, we have the hope. We are serving the God of hope. Our Christian walk should not look like Eeyore. It shouldn't look like the little pouty-faced baby. People should see us. We're peculiar people. Surprised I actually got that word out. Right? We got it out. Close. We should be different. We should be different. So are you? Are you different? 
Because our scripture says here that joy and peace are two great spiritual blessings that we have because we serve the God of hope. Next part of our phrase is joy and peace in believing. Joy and peace in believing. Newsboys, they wrap it up, right? We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. We believe. We believe. So a creed is a formal statement of our beliefs. You've got the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Westminster Confession Creed. I doubt everybody's up on the latest creeds. But a few weeks ago, right, I asked you um, from this pulpit and challenged you to write your testimony. I hope you took advantage of that and wrote your personal testimony. Within that testimony, you'll go back and you can find some aspects of a creed, your statements of belief, and hopefully they're founded on the same beliefs that are here, the scriptures that are here. So let's look at 1 Peter. Let's flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, talking about believing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So belief. Do you believe in Christ? That he is who he says he is. A common question that often comes up, a common question that often comes up is, do I have enough faith? Do I have enough faith? Have you ever heard that question? Thought about that question? Do I have enough faith? Last night I made a, last night I made a recipe in my sausage casserole. Not mine. I found it online, but the kids love it. And, um, you know, you put in three eggs, a pound of sausage, a lot of cheese, a lot of cheese. Okay. And then you just leave it. And so um, in the oven and a few other things, of course. But when we think about faith, we have, you know, we, we want to say, you know, this whole Christianity thing is, is, is two cups of faith and one cup of love and, you know, and you know, three cups of truth and a tablespoon of this. You know, we want to have set numbers in our minds. But as I ponder this question of do I have enough faith, came to a really good answer about the amount of faith. The amount of faith is not the critical issue. The critical issue is what? Is the object of our faith, right? And then I saw this really good analogy. So if you could turn to Ephesians 2, Verse 8, Ephesians 2, verse 8. Okay. 
And everybody's probably, probably heard this passage, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. So, all right, let me, you take that in. All right, so, water hose. Don't worry, this is a clean one. All right, it's a water hose. I got this? Anybody ever washed a car? Ha ha. Anybody washed a car? Maybe. <laughs> you make them boys wash the car? Yeah, I wash the car. Wash the car. All right. We wash the car. So we can differentiate, right, in this passage of Ephesians 2.8 between the cause and the means of this passage. So if I go to wash my car, all right, I'm going to wash my car, all right, if I say I wash the car with this hose, all right, did I wash the car with this hose? No, I washed the car with what? The water that came out of the hose. So our faith is just like this water hose, that it is an instrument. It's an instrument that carries grace. But the grace is the one thing that cleanses us, right? So the hose did not actually wash the car, but the water did. Faith itself is not a force, but a channel through which God's power to save is delivered. All right? Everybody got that? Got that? Got that? All right. You can just leave this here, but slide it over so I don't trip over it. That'd be bad. Thanks, sir. I would say line up your cars and I'll wash them all, but I really want to go fishing later today. So, but we'll go later. Maybe, maybe after that. Monday morning car wash or something. All right. All right. But a small amount of faith is sufficient for salvation if the object of the faith is worthy. I have mentioned a few shows today. Andy Griffith. We watch a lot of Andy Griffith as well. You might remember this episode where um, Barney had this prisoner and he escaped from him. <laughs> like which episode? There's like 20 of those, right? Um, but then he's at the lake. The prisoner's at the lake, and Andy props up, right, on the, uh, props up on the fence there. And Barney's like, there he is, there he is, go get him, go get him. He's in, he's in Andy's rowboat. The criminal's in Andy's rowboat, right? And Andy's like, no, nah, don't worry about it, Barney. Don't worry about it. That criminal put his faith in a boat that had holes in it, right? And Andy knew the truth, right? He knew that criminal put his faith in an object that couldn't provide, right? And that's just like, do you have enough faith? If you believe, yes, it doesn't matter the size of your faith as long as your faith is in the right place. And that place is focused on Christ. It's that simple. Don't overthink it. Because that faith comes from the belief of what we just talked about. In that, in that song, summarized in the song, but more formally in creeds, which often, which comes from our scripture, right? So, Dr. Charlie Bing writes this, The believer of the smallest amount of faith is in the worthy Son of God will be saved, because salvation does not depend on the strength of one's faith, but on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to do what he promises he will do. So, in believing, in believing. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. You turn with me to John 14, verses 15 through 17. Huff actually preached a few passages over, actually, an afternoon after we watched one of the Star Wars movies. So actually what our family did is we watched all nine episodes in like three weeks. And so I feel like we're so caught up with culture now. But there's so many warnings, right, about how, yes, there are people that actually, you know, there's a Star Wars religion, like not just people that like it and watch it, but they they get confused with what's reality versus what is um, truth and fact. But Huff was preaching um, one of these, and I got stuck on this, uh, chapter 14, verses 16. So let's read it. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will dwell in you. And we believe with the Holy Spirit to guide us in our lives. And again, like I said, you know, that's, that's the kind of the beauty of, of, of speaking. You wrap up in all these different experiences that, that you've had. Right, but I went to just how, you know, in, the, in Star Wars, there's this force, there's this force, there's this force, and what is this force? And we as Christians are very fortunate to know exactly who we are, why we're here, and where we're going. We don't need to know what this mysterious force is. We know that God created us, we know that He sent His Son to save us, and He knows that we sent the Holy Spirit to guide us. And I am so thankful that we know all three of those. So as we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there's naturally joy and peace in our lives. The last part of our phrase is about so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May abound in hope. So abound means to be present in large numbers or great quantity. Now, abound in high school. I don't know if I'll do this on the stage or not. But in high school, my track teacher, you remember a couple weeks ago I told you my track teacher, the one that set up the hurdles, not the, not the right distance apart? Well, he was the one, he always told me, he goes, you're a great bounder. So there's this exercise. So Randy, I don't know if the camera moves this fast, right? There's this bounding exercise. Where you, right, right? Bounding to practice that explosion and speed, right? Get ready for track. I never got a medal in track, just so you know. Do it, do it again. He's bounding. You're bursting, you're exploding up, right? To get out of there, get out of the gate, fast, you're bounding. <laughs> Huff, you did good last week, you were like this. You were up there, buddy. You're doing good, love it, right? But passion, you, you, you get it, right? You, you got to go, you're bounding. You don't, you, don't, you don't walk around with just a little hope. You abound in it. You're overflowing with hope because you know that your hope is in God. But circling back one more time, for those that have lost all hope, it is a dark, desperate, dangerous place. For those that have lost hope. Psalm 73, if you could flip with me there, Psalm 73. This is about um, the song of uh, Asaph. Okay, we're not going to read this whole thing, but I do challenge you to read it sometime this week. But he was struggling. He was struggling mighty, mightily. Psalm 73, 16 says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. 
Then I discerned their end. He went to the sanctuary of God. He went into God's presence. He talked with Him. He looked at the Scripture. He studied the presence of God. Presence of God. Verse 15 says, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. That goes back a lot. You know, we haven't heard anything lately, but there's you know, several past several years there's been some prominent Christian leaders that have come out and renounced their faith. And that's to the point where Asaph was. But in the scripture it says, If I had said this, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And to me that hit home with those people that have renounced God, they failed to go into the sanctuary of God. Just a few verses later in verse 26, it says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 28 says, But for me it is good to be near God. If you don't take anything away from this message today, please take away. But for me it is to be good is to be good near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. See, we go through those strength training exercises, and we think that we have to do that day after day after day, but if you do that, what? Your body will fail. Because actually, when you're doing those exercises, Brother Dick, if you ever hugged him, it's a strong exercise. Strong man. Says he works out, right, four times a week. But he can't work out every day. We can't work out every day, right? We got to rotate muscle groups or do different things. Why? Because they need time to rest and to rebuild. Rebuild even stronger when we tear them down. So again, it goes back to what drains us and what fills us. William Barclay quoted, says this, no man is hopeless so as long as there is the grace of Jesus Christ. And no situation is hopeless so long as there is the power of God. Power of God. So I'm going to scan through several um, verses here as we close about abounding in hope and just about great verses that summarize this. So Jeremiah 14.22 says, We set our hope on you, for you do all of these things. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.1 says, God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. First Colossians 1.27 says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Luke 2.11 and Acts 13.23 tells us that Christ is our Savior. John 6.35 tells us that Christ is the source of life. And 1 Peter 2 tells us that Christ is the rock on which our hope is built. Which our hope is built. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. One last point. And it's a grammatical point. The story of teacher, can I go to the bathroom? And the teacher says, I don't know. Can you? Can you? Can is commonly used for ability, and may is used for permission. 
So turn to Romans. Make sure you're with me in our passage of Romans 15, 13. I'm going to change a word. I'm going to change two of them, actually. Romans 15, 13. I'm going to change a word, you'll see. I'm going to change can. I'm going to change, I'm going to change made to can. Can the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit you can abound in love? What do you believe? Can he? Can he? Read it as written again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. He can do it, but will you let him? Will you let him? Let's stand.